Okay. I hope everybody's having a great afternoon and had a good lunch and uh, ready to learn a little bit. It's gonna be this is gonna be a lot of fun. My name is Tom Suter. I'm the founder of the Advanced Technology Academic Research Center, and welcome to our, our Thursday after lunch IT series. Today, the topic is going to be on cloud migration, an important shift to strengthen federal cloud infrastructure, and uh, definitely a pertinent topic to a lot of government agencies. And uh, I just want to thank. Uh, all of our attendees for joining, taking time out of your out of your week. Uh, special thanks to, I've got a few here, uh, Leslie Rogers, Brad Schultes, and the rest of the Rackspace team, great partner of ATARC. And then also to our friends at Kerasoft that kind of helped us put this together, uh, John Lee, who runs Cloud over there, and Mary Lang. So they kind of helped us set this up. So what, what to expect today, we're gonna have a great um, intros from our panelists uh, and talking about their stories. We're going to pop in a poll question or two and uh, and then answer all your questions. So if all the panelists can come on live, I'm going to do a real quick brief introduction and then uh, we'll get to talking. Um, we have with us today Dan Pomeroy. Hi, Dan. He's a Deputy Associate Administrator at GSA. And we also have with us Brian Merrick. Brian, if you could get your get your video working there or we're not going to be able to get your video. Can you hear us, Brian? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, we got Brian, we got this voice. Um, we don't have you on video, but there he there is. Wow, that was worth the wait. Is yeah. that your backyard? It sure is. That's fantastic. Where do you live? Alexandria. Alexandria, great. What's your address? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Never looks wonderful out there. Uh, next up, uh, we have uh, Sean Van Vandruff, uh, Data Center and Cloud Transition Advisor. The Department of State on contract. How are you doing today, Sean? I'm doing well. Are you in the office? Not really. That's a virtual background. You know what? I, I was on with somebody from GSA earlier. They had the exact same one. Is that San Francisco? I have no idea. <laughs> he said it was San Francisco, I believe. I couldn't really get a good view. <laughs> you had me. Uh, and uh, we also have with us uh, Katerina Comey. And Katerina is uh, with, where are you, Katerina? I don't have you on my script. You're with Army. You're with PPOEIS. Yep. Army uh, headquarters. Uh, we're in charge of all their um, uh, management systems. Fan fantastic. Fantastic. Somehow you got cut off on my printer, so on my script. So sorry about that. Um, and then last but not least, we have Brad Schulteis, who runs uh, Government uh, Global Solutions at Rackspace. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here. Are you in a data center somewhere or? <laughs> in my basement. Great, great. Yeah, well, before we get started, I was uh, just kind of thinking about about this topic and how important it is. And I remember uh, I had my own company. I serviced the federal government for, for many years and I got bought out of that company in 2010. But before that, um, we were having problems we had a perpetual race of how many servers are we gonna have in our data center? I, I use the term data center loosely. It was like a large closet. And I counted like 27 servers in our data center. We, we had an arms race, how much air conditioning we could pump into there. And uh, then my IT guys came to me and said, we had to invest $150,000 to upgrade our, our email server. So I started looking for other options. And th this was in 2008. So I went to my partners in the firm, one of them may be on this thing, and I, I said, they had this thing called cloud computing where you can outsource your, your, your IT. Their initial response were to look up in the sky. They thought that there was like some kind of blimp device with a, with a bunch of data, with a, with a bunch of servers. But we eventually migrated email and we migrated all of our applications and you can't make this up. I didn't make this up. We actually worked with Rackspace on it. So that was like in 2008. So, uh, and it was a great experience. And, and what it set us up for, I don't know if anybody remembers Snowmageddon, where we had that massive snow and we worked remote and it had absolutely no interruptions. Did we know it was gonna snow? Is that the reason why we migrated to the cloud? And it was a very painful process to migrate. I think my wife is still on her way home from that commute. That was pretty yeah, bad. That was a brutal one. I, I think it was like 2009 or so. So I look at pandemic and uh, 
what we've seen, and I, we've been doing these webinars every week since pandemic, you see some trends. The ones that were in the cloud tended to have more scalable type. Uh, things had to change, but they, had, they, they ended up being more scalable. Um, they ended up having better results. So, um, you know, we, this cloud transitions is very difficult. It's very painful, but we're gonna try to talk about some of the lessons learned and how we can continue to evolve this. And I'm gonna start off, we're gonna have each of the panelists talk, but maybe I can start off with you, Dan, and uh, talk about a little bit. I mean, uh, you do a lot across government and you've got a lot of good perspectives with, your, with all that experience there at uh, the Office of Government-Wide Policy. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Tom. And it's a, it's a pleasure to be here and to be on uh, this panel with so many august uh, experts. Um, I'm very proud of the work that the General Services Administration, um, the work that we've been able to accomplish uh, during the pandemic and most of that is due to foresight and uh, investments that were made in the cloud almost a decade ago now, 2011, 2012. Um, it was very painful as an organization to get off of uh, an email system that I won't characterize with a, with a brand name, um, but it was uh, not in the mainstream and we, we migrated it into uh, a uh, cloud-based email and that opened us up to cloud-based collaboration uh, in ways that we had never been able to experience before using using those suites using that suite um, and over time the culture was able to um, adapt to using those tools and getting work done but still the preponderance of most of our work was was done on site in the office um, I'm I was one of the uh, last people turning out the lights for my organization when we did go to 100% virtual um, telework. We were one of the very first agencies in Washington, D.C. To, um, to implement that, um, that posture. We were able to do that effectively because of those investments we had made in cloud, just starting with cloud email, as you mentioned, Tom, uh, eight or nine years ago and building off of that and making other investments in other software as a service uh, business tools. Um, and those uh, investments were made over, over this long period of time. And had we not done that, we would not have had the elasticity to go to 100% virtual. It wasn't perfect. Um, we had to still help our organization know when was a good time to be on VPN and when was a good time to use multi-factor authentication. And that was a growing pain. But as considering that pain of going up that curve versus turning on a dime and taking an on-prem organization into the cloud due to COVID, um, that was relatively a, a minor thing to help the organization grow in those ways. So we had a culture of innovation and we had a culture of early adoption and it, it, it paid off for us locally. Um, and a lot of credit goes to uh, to Dave Shive, our, our current CIO, and the CIOs that uh, uh, preceded him, as well as administrators willing to make those investments. And they were tough investments at the time. And, and, and we were able to completely transition to 100% virtual as a federal agency um, in, a, in a very short period of time. From the standpoint of the Office of Government-wide Policy, however, um, we had other work to do to help other agencies um, through knowledge sharing. So we quickly um, uh, put together a, a documentation for updated best practices that was uh, ran through our community of practice and it was done with a lot of agency input, knowing that just GSA talking to other agencies is not as, it's not as useful as talking to large departments and micro agencies simultaneously and getting all of their feedback. And that, that document, that best practices guide is um, uh, being prepared for uh, public dissemination, hopefully this month if everything goes to schedule. Um, but many of the agencies have seen the content because they've directly contributed um, to, to that work. So um, the work is ongoing and we know that um, agencies are at different places on the modernization curve. 
And the beauty of this um, best, practice, best practices document is we talk about cloud readiness. How is your organization, you know, where are you at in your readiness? We talk about procurement, we talk about governance, automation, security, and these important elements. And one of the most important elements is change management. Um, everyone has had to uh, adopt new levels of change because of COVID-19, but nonetheless, the basics of change management are still really important. Um, we cannot be in 100% crisis mode, um, turning on a dime from, um, from March of 2020 to, to March of 2021. So we are continuing to constantly engage with federal agencies and look for areas in which we can take those best practices and lessons learned and disseminate those internal to the federal government um, for the purposes of you know, not, not charging the taxpayer twice for those lessons learned. So um, I'm, I'm proud of the work that we've done. I'm proud of the work that we'll, we continue to endeavor in. And um, with that, I'll, I'll uh, hand the invisible microphone back over to you. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. That was a great way to, great way to kick us off. And uh, next up, uh, uh, maybe I'll switch over to Department of State. Brian, I'm really interested to see what you guys did domestically and overseas. It's a big job. And this is a worldwide pandemic, something we can never foreseen. But love to hear your comments at, at Department of State. Sure. No, thank you. And uh, yeah, as you can imagine, it's a, a huge challenge. You know, we have 275 posts overseas, 50 uh, within the continental United States. So, you know, we have folks almost everywhere uh, with differing degrees of uh, internet penetration with their own host of challenges and, and whatnot. And I think what helped us was we were already going down the path of having, uh, you know, some very strong uh, cloud-based uh, capabilities within the department. But what really changed was, you know, we turned this uh, tragedy into a, an opportunity uh, in terms of using it as a way to um, really leverage the technology to change the way we look at decision support, the way we look at data, uh, the way we look at collaboration and interactions. Uh, you know, I mean, from a, a basic collaboration standpoint, we already had all of our email in the cloud. I mean, we had 85% of the department, 100% uh, telework within the first couple of weeks. You know, had its glitches and, and whatnot, but uh, overall highly successful. Uh, but I, I think the more interesting thing was that as uh, the need for decisions to be made uh, at a senior level came to the forefront, they really had to rely on technology to do that. As you can imagine, trying to keep track of an ever-changing global health situation, uh, we need a better way to do that than emails and, and SharePoint sites. Uh, so we leveraged SaaS tools um, to, to uh, make enterprise-wide applications uh, to gather this information. Uh, we also link that to our master reference data tables so that we would have consistent uh, data from point of entry. Uh, and then we leverage some of our analytics tools and environments in the cloud so we could crunch that information, provide superior decision support to our senior leaders in a timely way. Uh, and, you know, by doing that, you know, we were able to, to roll out 10 applications within two weeks uh, with uh, about a couple more weeks just to get full adoption. Uh, and, you know, we heavily leverage our partnerships with our chief data officer uh, organization uh, in the department uh, so that we could really open up the, the, the keys to, to all those data stores uh, and to get those data owners really aligned to the, the priorities of the organization. Uh, and then, you know, what was really exciting about that was that once senior leaders started seeing the art of the possible and what they could get with data, it really started opening up a whole breadth of different options and ideas about, well, okay, now data really is an asset. Now we can take this. Um, the large amounts of good data and do something useful with it. And so there are a multitude of, of upcoming activities, uh, you know, going on in the department that I think are going to help us really leverage that, um, you know, going forward. It's definitely changed the awareness of the senior leadership on, on what we can do. Uh, and so, you know, we're continuing to add uh, very, very robust features and capabilities to our environment. Um, you know, we're definitely leveraging multi-cloud. Uh, you know, we're, we're providing most of the major platforms for our customers through a shared service environment. Uh, and it's really a we do, you do model, uh, which allows our customers to really get to work and we take care of the infrastructure stuff, whether it be on a SaaS or an IaaS basis. Um, and, you know, we're brokering to other uh, enablers like, you know, single sign-on tools and other capabilities so people can just get to work as quickly as possible, turning applications for their customers. Uh, so I think as we go forward, we're going to see even more of that. And we're starting to see additional leveraging a hybrid cloud as well, uh, but really from a data layer standpoint. So 
you know, we're encouraging our users to, or our business organizations as well to kind of move up the stack into SaaS where possible, you know, leveraging no-code, low-code solutions. Um, but those data stores need to be shared ubiquitously through multiple organizations. So we're trying to keep that, uh, you know, either on-prem or in cheap storage and then leverage that same data set for multiple purposes. And that's been really useful uh, as we're going forward. Obviously still policy challenges around that, but I think we're heading in the right direction. Great. Um, yep, yeah, we, your dog is yapping and maybe hungry or something. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, this is one of the things when you're working at home, uh, this all hap happens all the time. So no, no problem at all. Yeah, and, and Brian, uh, you had a couple initiatives that were very timely. You started going to software as a service, you know, low to no code. And you, you've got a colleague of yours, Jerry Karen, that works with us, you know, that does the telecommunications work and been very active in TIC 3.0. And it looks like it was very timely to start these initiatives early. I think it definitely, definitely helped you out. Um, next up, um, well, let's go with uh, uh, Katrina. Uh, You've had a lot of the same things of uh, data center consolidation and, 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 and um, you know, I love to hear what was, how did you guys handle pandemic and some of the lessons learned there and where you guys are headed? Well, um, pandemic, you know, the army uh, and, and most of the, my other um, clients here are gone remote and that's been quite easy thanks to, you know, all the email and collaboration that is uh, the agencies have put in. You know, otherwise the projects that we're working on of migrating, you know, these big apps, these big systems, you know, to the cloud vendors wouldn't have been able to continue. So, I mean, that's that work and that's laid the framework for what we do, you know, moving these big ERPs, big systems, you know, into this cloud vendors. Um, you know, it set the, it set the path for those to happen that, that, that a, the leaders can see the art of the possible that these big systems can go there. Um, they can't operate. And as we, you know, it's not easy to get them there. There's a lot of, uh, you know, organizational change um, and, and um, you know, just cost management and components that have to get worked out. But, you know, the, the art of the possible of, you know, the big ERPs, and that's usually what we, we're focusing on at Army of moving their five ERPs up into you know, a cloud. We won't mention which one. Um, and that, you know, it is working. We, we get them there. That It's possible we're... They're operating, performing well as they get there. The big improvements that we're seeing for the agencies are, you know, automation, the security controls, you know, the, the access around it, the being able to leverage that data now that it's there and it's in a more open structure. It's kind of opening up these big systems for the analytics or for these PaaS tools to be connected to them. And, and, and sharing those data sets, which before had to be copied or you know, provided to somebody else. And now we're able to get to what I love to refer to as the store once use mini concept of you know, having that data set, even though it's in a database or creating that big data lake and you know, connecting all the analytics or other tools to it um, to have access to the data and use the government's data since that's, the government's got data, nothing else. They've got lots of data and they need to be able to use it, leverage it, understand it. And, you know, cloud is providing the tools um, to do that in a much faster manner than building everything, you know, on premise and trying to maintain it that way. Um, you know, so that's what we've seen uh, in that. And then also the increased ability to manage the infrastructure costs or to tie the costs of that business decision. Oh, let me do this to costs, you know, to infrastructure, to the, AWS costs. So when they, you know, some project manager, some, in our case, some guy with a lot of stars on their shoulder makes a decision, you know, six months later, you can start showing them what that's costing. And they're really, they're, their eyes open up and, you know, it helps them make better decisions, you know, instead of versus yeah. just, you know, waving their hands and saying, make it happen, you know, doing the Captain Kirk thing. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, you know, that's what, you know, we're seeing as far as, you know, what the cloud is bringing to, to, uh, to our capabilities, you know, and, and, you know, being able to continue to do this in a pandemic from our, you know, um, remote offices and, you know, backyards and stuff. So. And fantastic. And uh, we'll get back with some more questions in a little bit. But uh, next up, Sean, I know you were actively working in, in these migrations and, you know, 
what has changed with COVID and where do you see us kind of like, what's the new tempo after, after all this kind of like we get through crisis management of, of this, this pandemic? Sure. And just for clarification, I'm, I'm with um, Deloitte Consulting and um, I do support uh, Department of State among other um, okay. agencies. So I do have some um, perspective on where, and we're doing mi migrations across multiple of these agencies. But in, in terms of the, um, the, the pandemic and um, what we've seen, I think um, the other panelists here have already mentioned a lot of the things. I'm not going to re revisit those, but a, a lot of the work that's been done over the past um, few years clearly enabled this, um, enabled us to, to continue working um, in the current situation. But from, from a migration perspective, um, cloud migration perspective, what we're seeing is those agencies that I think are more advanced um, in their, along the curve, um, it, it was almost like uh, we didn't skip a beat, right? So we have uh, access, um, VDI as a service into the cloud and we just started working um, instead of from the office, we started working, working from home. The controls were in place to do that and so forth. So uh, our teams can just continued to build out environments, continued to um, work with system owners and migrating um, those systems. So I think it, it worked out really well. Now there was some scaling that had to be done. And I think um, there were, I think people mentioned glitches and things that had to be worked through. One of those big things was acquisitions, licensing entitlements to scale quickly. Um, but it was great to see everybody working together to, to make that happen. Um, I think uh, another thing where, you know, we're, there's all kinds of lessons learned here um, for those um, agencies or organizations that aren't as far along in the curve. Um, this is a, just a great learning experience. There's uh, resources that are out there in the government, in the community, in the marketplace uh, that they can take advantage of. Um, you know, I, one of those that, that um, I think is really great is the uh, cloud infrastructure COP run by GSA. I know uh, a lot of us uh, participate in that in the, just the information sharing um, in, in those, um, those meetings is just really amazing. So I think people should take advantage of that. As far as where we can advance, um, people have already stated it, stated there is a ton of data um, that you now have access to through the cloud providers, how you're consuming it, the cost, your security, the compliance. I think we all just need to get better um, and, and put tools in place to, uh, to actively use that data um, to manage consumption, security, governance, and so forth. Demand management's another one. It, it ties right in, I think, to the whole COVID thing and uh, the, the whole remote access and how we're using systems differently. We're gonna be able to, to harvest a lot of data uh, from that for the, for the future. Great, great. And a lot of that work you're talking about is out of Dan's shop over there, um, yeah. Cloud Information Center at all. So you can thank him for that uh, and his team. He's got a good team over there. Uh, last but certainly not least, Brad, and, and really excited to hear about your perspectives. The great thing about you guys, you, you're across DOD, you're across civilian, and then you are also got a big commercial practice. And it'd be great to get some of these perspectives that I think our federal audience would like to learn about. Sure, yeah, Rackspace, uh, maybe not a name that's familiar to a lot of folks in government, um, but by way of acquisition about three years ago, Rackspace Government Solutions was born. Uh, and in doing so, uh, we amassed about 21 years of experience providing government-specific managed cloud services, managed security services, managed compliance services. Um, so we haven't yet talked a lot about everyone's favorite glitch, and that's security and compliance, of course. So, so let's go there. Um, uh, here at Rackspace, I actually lead a worldwide team of security and compliance uh, subject matter experts. Uh, we're focused on delivering security solutions, um, simplifying compliance uh, with government standards specifically, and then lowering the barriers to entry into the government vertical. Uh, what's unique about our approach is that almost all of our FedRAMP managed services uh, is provided business to business to other commercial organizations that they themselves are struggling with this government compliance. 
Um, so the ability to effectively use SaaS solutions has been mentioned several times here today. Uh, and uh, there's, a, there's a big challenge with uh, the cloud solutions in that there's only 157 FedRAMP authorized SaaS solutions out there today. Um, so the government wants these, they need these solutions to be available in times like this, uh, but many of the desired solutions simply aren't authorized yet. Uh, and that's where Rackspace comes in. Uh, we act as an enabler. Our customers are able to leverage our FedRAMP managed services in conjunction with their own to streamline their security and their compliance operations. Uh, our goal is to generate efficiencies here uh, and uh, uh, effectively lower the total cost of ownership for these uh, providers and then lower the cost to the government. Um, and then our, our, our ultimate goal is to bring the highly desirable commercial SaaS solutions to the government, uh, but clearly we have a long way to go here. Um, I also think the technology industry as a whole has an important role to play uh, as we're operating in these unprecedented times. Uh, for a lot of agencies, this is really uncharted territory, uh, but for technology-centric companies like Rackspace in the private sector, uh, this is kind of status quo. Uh, we, we've been doing remote workforce for a long time. I worked at Rackspace for five years now. I've been work from home the entire time. Uh, so it was no change for me. Um, and uh, Rackspace technology as a whole made the decision to go 100% remote uh, in the first week of March. And we were able to do that without a ripple. Um, so the, the technology industry in a lot of cases has really never slowed down. Uh, we've probably all actually been going a lot faster because of the, the pandemic. Uh, so we've been able to continue to provide expertise around innovation uh, and cloud, uh, as well as security and uh, just general remote workforce enablement. Um, I think we need to continue to help government do the same. Uh, thank, thank you for that. And uh, I know I, I saw a demo from you guys a couple months ago and, and for, for these applications. I mean, you take care of like a lot of the controls. So right out of the box, you don't have to worry about them. And uh, exactly. Yeah, I think that's critical, especially in these emerging companies that want to get access to the federal government to try to do this all on their own. That's going to be take time. And uh, I think you guys definitely provide a useful service here. Thank you for that. Uh, great. Well, we're going to start off with maybe a couple questions. Actually, Alyssa, if we can put the first poll question up. If I don't put it up now, I might forget. We're going to put a real quick poll. Okay. Yeah, where are you in your agency with your cloud infrastructure? Okay, we got some questions there, some answers there. And then also, what are your biggest challenges with implementing cloud infrastructures? I'm really inter interested to see what this poll comes back. And every once in a while, this poll gets kind of notorious and ends up in a press article. So, okay, we'll give it another 15 seconds. All right, what do we got, Alyssa? Last. Okay, there you go. Dan, what do you think of those numbers? They're starting to sound pretty. It's, uh, it looks great. Uh, the glass is more than half full, which is a good thing. Uh, <laughs> we spent a lot of years doing data center consolidation for a reason, so. Uh, yeah. It's good, it's good. That's good, I mean, where were we five years ago? I don't think we're anywhere anywhere close to this. It's taken uh, a lot of agencies to make a, you know, um, a lot of leapfrogging jumps and making tough choices when it comes to uh, data center optimization. Um, that, that initiative kicked off in 2016 and I think we're just barely really starting to reap the fruits of, of those seeds that were planted yeah. um, four, four or five years ago. Any, any other comments on, on this? This is actually one of the better polls we've done. It seems the results are very interesting. Yeah, I, 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 came up. I think there's just some uh, obviously nuance to this, but I, yeah. uh, cloud has made things possible now that we couldn't do 10 years ago. I mean, that's clear. Um, I think we're, we're probably still struggling with cloud enabling a lot of the core mission functionality at the agencies. Uh, the ancillary functions, the back office IT, uh, I'm fairly confident that most of those functions have, have uh, at least uh, been put somewhat into the cloud, if not entirely. Uh, but I, I think the highly sensitive, uh, especially classified workloads uh, are still, you know, we're just not there yet. Uh, the commercial cloud services aren't available um, or sufficient. 
uh, and remote access is really next to impossible uh, to enable uh, at, at a classified level. So those are things we're, we're struggling with uh, on you know an industry and government perspective. Yep. Anybody else? Yeah, I think one of the areas that we're struggling with in the federal government is um, maybe we have solved our internal collaboration problems with cloud, but we have major barriers when it comes to interagency collaboration. And that is another mountain that we need to plan and scale. Um, one of the problems that COVID-19 brought up very quickly was the lack of interoperability between video conferencing solutions. I mean, we're now on Zoom, Zoom Gov right now. Well, you know, that, that didn't appear out of thin air prior to COVID-19. That's a post-COVID-19 development. So there's um, a lot of work that we need to do. And as the federal government becomes more interoperable with itself and um, the different communities um, have to uh, interact more frequently that uh, especially at the unclassified level where is the, uh, the, the pain points are most evident. Um, hopefully, hopefully the CIO council and, and, and others will be able to make some smart investments into making improvements yep. there. Um, we're optimistic, but it's gonna be a long road before agencies can talk to agencies as quickly as they can talk internally. Yeah, well, as far we actually use Zoom for government, but uh, the DoD actually came out with a memo in about record time. As you, you're smiling over there, uh, Katerina, uh, usually it takes about 18 months to come out with a memo. Remember, we built the Pentagon in World War II in in 18 months, but it usually it took actually took a couple weeks to crank out a memo. So that's really you know you know you got some big problems when the DoD's working that fast. So good stuff. Uh, one of the challenges that the agencies, I think moving forward, and I, I think of the, the folks on this, on this panel, you know, credentialing, you know, uh, we're, we got some issues with credentialing right now because you're used to CAC or PIV. Uh, how, do we, how do we change that? Uh, you know, the Social Security Administration, I always use this example, but you can't wheel your 96-year-old grandmother into the Social Security Administration to get services. Um, we're, we're, you know, we're really moving our our agencies more toward a, a digital, um, you know, transformation. And uh, what are some of the things that these new applications that have stood up? What what sticks out with you all that you've had to do that you like almost overnight? You know, SBA, you know, is cranking out more money each day for the PP, you know, PPP loans um, than they ever gave out in 15 years. You know, it's like just a scale. What is uh, some of the, been the challenges at, at your agencies or organizations that you've had to like overcome and, and what do we see going in the future? Well, I, I tell you for us, uh, you know, Department of State, one of the biggest challenges is, you know, most of our infrastructure was built for years around the physical network. Well, yeah. that kind of doesn't help when we need to talk to the world because we're the state department for all the states. So we end up uh, having a real challenge with external user credentialing and access as you can imagine, not just other agencies, but you know, yep. we need to be able to pass information to other governments, to NGOs, to other business entities, uh, to councils and boards and uh, international organizations. And so our existing infrastructure just completely did not support that. And it, it created a huge security gap. And so part of what we've done to try to resolve that is we're moving towards a, a single sign-on solution, which allows us to provide a separate IDP uh, from our core internal user IDP so that we can manage those identities in a safe way. Um, and we're using process really to make sure that, you know, we have a, a state sponsor that can validate uh, people's uh, need for certain types of information access. Uh, but by using that uh, across all of our cloud environments, that's going to make it a lot easier as we try to provision those correct resources, uh, leveraging things like use, least privilege uh, guidelines and whatnot to that data. Uh, also being able to logically segment and separate those data elements in the cloud has been huge. I mean, we couldn't do that in a non-segmented network environment, just impossible. The risk was too high. So I think that's going to be really exciting in terms of us trying to, uh, you know, provide real-time collaboration you know, externally as well. Yeah, we have a identity management group, but we're got some stuff we're cooking up with Debbie Kennedy. I don't know if you know her. She, we have some ideas there uh, because every, every agency's had the same challenge. 
Uh, Katarina, you want to? Is there anything that you want to bring up on, inside the DoD that you you ran into? Yeah, I think our, in our sense that the SAML has been um, you know very helpful, uh, and it's a it's a good piece for you know getting the users in our systems uh, these um, massive ERPs from an authentication. The authorization piece is still very challenging, you know, across multiple systems or systems made up of systems. Um, and, you know, these role-based access controls and tracking and getting to, you know, one of our big challenges is moving these six ERPs in and even other agencies moving their ERPs in is that, you know, who's got what, who's got access to what. And as it, you know, as there's more data, as there's more tools tracking that identity across and using, you know, SAML's great, but it just says, yes, you can get in. It doesn't say what you can get access to. And having that single control to know that Bob's got access to data A over here and B over here and C and, you know, oh my God, he could put all that together, you know, realizing they have access to it and, and then putting in, um, you know, having those business controls or, you know, security controls is still a big gap. And, um, yeah. you know, our goal is to get all these, you know, back end names synchronized across all these systems to try and, get to that but you know that is hopefully something comes out so you don't have to get everybody synchronized to that same name or that same token um, all over the place uh, and something else uh, evolves there's still a technology gap or a solution gap in that sense of how to figure that out but uh, you know yeah I think it's coming maybe some sort of uh, I you know different different sort of token based thing with multiple you know uh, in, you know, so you can check it, but we'll, we'll see. And then, then identity is only one piece of the puzzle. Then you got to be worried Just about one. bring your own technology, bring your own device. I mean, those devices that we're, we're allowing people to use to get into these systems, we don't really know the security state of that device. We don't know necessarily where they're accessing the data from. So people are moving around, people are, you know, traveling all over the place, potentially overseas, um, and maybe it's not them. Can we trust the identity itself? So we need to make sure that we're validating multiple pieces of information, uh, really go into that zero trust paradigm uh, and, and converging that with the data and the, the authorization on the back end is still very challenging. Um, and I, I'm not going to claim to have solved that problem. Uh, I know we, <laughs> we're working across industry and government to solve that together. You're crisscrossing all of our working groups. You got zero trust, you got mobile security, you're, you're all over the place. Um, thank you. Uh, yeah, we're working on these issues in, in, in a lot of our working groups. We're starting to get some questions, and they're they're pretty good. Uh, usage usage of dedicated government cloud services versus actual public cloud offerings. Are most of the government using um, the purpose for cloud government clouds, or just attendant in a public cloud, and more like migrating from government clouds to public, or vice versa? Um, yeah, go ahead. So I think, you know, it depends on what your apps are, little web servers. I don't want to be a little, but, you know, your, your information, you know, it's uh, doi.gov or statedepartment.gov. You know, those are yeah. in public clouds. You know, it depends on the data set, depends on what's going on. Generally, all the stuff we're migrating in is in gov clouds. You know, the secure, well, at least the yeah. you know, IL4, IL5 stuff. You know, obviously there's stuff in six, you know, the secret world, but... Um, you know, the gov clouds are for where, you know, it's government data. You got to keep that, you know, secure. It can't get out. You know, aisle two, we see just lots of websites, lots of, you know, um, yeah. emails, websites, things that can be or, you know, are you know, all over the place anyway, um, is the trend that we've been seeing and, you know, running the systems, moving systems up. Brian, what are you saying? Because you, you guys uh, yeah. address the citizens well, as well. Go ahead. Yeah, so I mean, obviously we have you know public outreach activities, and for those, I mean, it's it's low risk, publicly discoverable data. So uh, as long as it's in a, a reasonably secure cloud from a defacement standpoint, uh, that's really the concern. But for everything else, you know, what we're relying on is is making sure that that data is stored in a federal compliant environment. Uh, these days, I mean, it was different three years ago. Now we're at the point where most of the major CSPs. You know, the, the, there is no control difference between their government and yeah. their uh, private sector space because it, they can't afford to, to do it differently. So they're, they're managing it the same way. And, yeah. and as long as they're federal compliant to the appropriate level, that's what we care about. 
so whether it be a, a high load or moderate load, uh, we're looking for that federal of compliance um, versus whether or not it's government or not. And frankly, especially around analytics areas and IS environments, uh, it's almost a detriment to be in the government space. You end up with less functionality uh, and then that reduction in functionality drives users to other SaaS subscription tools that aren't federal compliant at all. Uh, and then you end up with a Frankenstein solution of stored your data uh, separately from the, the application layer. Uh, and so we're, you know, we're, we're trying to keep everything within certainly a federal compliance space. Yeah, it goes back to the, the data. I mean, uh, I see this every day. We have customers that are saying, well, you know, our, our government customer doesn't want to use our system or they do want to use our system. And this is why. Uh, but the, uh, the underlying problem is the, the government doesn't always have an accurate understanding of what data is in every environment. We need to get to a proper, you know, uh, potentially data tagging or some sort of uh, standard there. Uh, it still is not uh, across the board by any means. Uh, so when you go to like a, do a FIPS categorization of an information system, you don't really know. You don't know, is this a high impact? Is this a moderate impact? Is this a low impact? Therefore, what cloud services can I use? Uh, and that's the challenge that I, I have to deal with with my customers and then their end government customers on a daily basis. Right, right. Um, we got another question. It's, we got a smart audience out there. They're asking really good ones. Um, I compliment you on your intelligence out there. Uh, so this one question is like, okay, we use cloud for email and, and share drive space. Uh, more advanced cloud computing and publicly available big data storage and accessibility. That's where they're running into hurdles. What are the panelists' thoughts regarding cloud-based high-performance computing? And I know states and probably the Army have plenty of this. Would... Yeah, so go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. No, okay, Carrie, you get to go first, and then we'll go to Brian. Okay. Go ahead. Um, well, the, the cloud computing is there. You know, they've got you know, and growing and 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 scaling every day. So even from their virtual, what you can get virtually, um, and what you're going to, what you can get as bare metal or specialized servers is amazing. You know, the yeah. capabilities you know across the big three. Um, and generally, you get upgrades, you get improvements in a much faster rate than you're ever going to get if you own something and put it in your own closet. So, you know, from that respect, it just is a, a no-brainer decision. Um, and you can, you know, scale, you can containerize, you can do all these great uh, infrastructure management things to, 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 you know, to optimize your workload or to create a big giant workload if you need to create a data lake and mine it. So I think the flexibility in the cloud just crushes anything you can, um, you know, unless you happen to be, you know, some agency with big pockets and giant pockets and can build your own cloud in your own private data center. It just, you know, I don't even, it's just, it's not even a decision factor anymore. Of, you know, do I have, can I get the capacity, like capacity? Of course you can you know, or you can get better capacity, really. Brian? Yeah, I would totally agree with, with all of that. And, you know, in addition, I mean, I, I have yet to meet a senior leader that can wait six weeks to get an answer to an analytics question because we're waiting on a server to come in and be installed. So uh, the reality is in our federated environment, you know, the reason we still have workloads on-prem is because it's already paid for. It's ostensibly free yeah. other than our recurring operating costs. So, you know, it's not like we can flex those resources somewhere else. That, that is the somewhere else. So in terms of performance, uh, you, can't, you can't equal the cloud and, and scalability and, and the, the flash to bang timeframe, you, you have to go cloud. Plus the analytics tools that are available uh, in a cloud environment are, are amazing. So yeah, there, there's absolutely no activity I'm aware of that's actually happening in an on-prem environment in our organization. It's all, all the actual analytic activities happening in cloud. There may be data stores they leverage from on-premise. That's where they happen to live. But, you know, the actual analytics engines are, are there. And, you know, what we're seeing is, you know, a big move towards AI, um, you know, yeah. bot technology. All those things are going to require access to large amounts of data to train those algorithms. That just is not feasible in an on-prem environment. It's not, you just can't get there. Um, so, you know, we don't, we don't see that going that way. We're definitely uh, seeing the, the commercial cloud trend for that. Great, great. Anybody else want to comment? Well, I, I would agree. I think it's a no-brainer if you're doing looking for uh, high-performance compute analytics, those types of things, you should be using the cloud. I think um, several people have already mentioned it here, but it's all it is all about the data, though. 
Um, so, you know, looking at, at the data that you're um, going to be running those analytics on, there, there are tools out there, there are solutions to obfuscate you know, um, the data. Um, and I think, you know, people or, or agencies ought to be looking at some of those solutions as, as well. So, that's my Great. Yeah, I think that the question specifically asked about some of the challenges, um, I, and the challenges are there. I mean, uh, if we're honest, the, the ingress-egress challenge of, of big data still exists. Uh, we still have speed of light limitations, as far as I know. Um, so if you've got a big data set that isn't in the cloud, that might make that analytics capability a little bit less accessible, unless your, your agency is willing to go wholesale into a specific cloud solution. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, I, I don't know that... Uh, we're, we're going to have a kind of open data model uh, across all of government, but I know there are uh, opportunities there to partner with some of the cloud providers uh, to uh, make some of your data sets more open and then, uh, you know, share some of that, that cost. Great, great. Um, another question, uh, how are you leveraging the cloud to modernize your application stack? Are, software as a service economics with consumption licensing based models making it easier to test and expand your cloud use anybody want to venture into that one yeah usually um oh sorry go ahead brian no you you go first yeah oh. dan you can go uh no uh you know some of our older applications don't need to be migrated into a cloud environment um, usually the cost benefit is just not there to do it. Yeah. So um, uh, building new and building fresh in SaaS in a FedRAMP SaaS is, is, an op is a great option, uh, one that we recommend for, you know, of course, assuming security and all of, the, of those other factors uh, as well. Um, I've been involved in many, taking lots of old on-prem applications and putting them into software as a solution um, environments. Um, it, it's just a better way to go. It, it, the, the, the laws of, the con of economies of scale come into play in SaaS for legacy applications. If they're not, if they're not big ERPs, if there's something that's, that you can wrap your arms around individually, you can individually move them over in sequence. And, um, we've reaped a lot of benefit out of out of doing that, and um, and we've worked with other agencies that have experienced the same thing. Brian, yeah, so uh, kind of along the the cloud smart lines. I mean, really, especially in our federated environment, our our business users are focused on prioritizing spend in, in SaaS uh, for those things that require real time processing, more collaboration collaboration capabilities, uh, or where you know latency is a, a real concern. And so, you know, they're really prioritizing that as well for the things where they have funding uh, that, that, that apply to that. So it's really more the programmatic application functions. Most of our back office type functions, I mean, if it relies on batch processing and you have, you know, all day for that financial file to move from Charleston to Bangkok, not really a huge rush to modernize that. We'll get to it. Uh, but, but the bigger concern uh, for most of the bureaus is those activities that directly manage or impact their mission areas. Um, the front office functions, if you will, um, where, where that benefit comes into play. And so, you know, we've seen a lot of emphasis moving into SaaS because honestly, even though it briefs well to have a consumption-based model, the government doesn't work that way. And I've talked to industry folks over and over again. I mean, you know, with our appropriation process, most agencies for the majority of their IT spend are on one-year money, um, not multi-year money, which means we only have that one year to obligate and most of us get the major tranches of our funding made twice a year. So we have to get that consumption planning just right, or we're gonna have a major problem. Whereas when you're talking about SaaS tools, you know, it's a buy once, build many type of environment for most of those applications. I'm not constrained by my application number or only my user accounts for the most part. Obviously variations on different license types, but with that, I can forecast that ahead of time. And I can know going into that budget cycle, what that user base is gonna look like and therefore what my cost is gonna be, I can budget for it and I can execute that. Consumption is a lot more difficult to manage in the government financial space as we end up with appropriation law complexities and whatnot. So you know, that's something else that everyone out there really needs to consider. It's not just the technology, it's how you're gonna buy it and how you're gonna procure it and how you're gonna deliver it. Uh, those are all major factors in, 
in this dynamic as well. But but I do definitely echo, uh, you know, the, the earlier comment about uh, change management. You know, if, if it's the juice isn't worth the squeeze and you don't absolutely have to move it, um, yeah. don't prioritize it. You know, get to that once it's too expensive to maintain that old software or that old infrastructure environment. Brian, do you do you, some of these legacy applications do you like uh, create an API out of them and use some new GUI out of your software as a service and maybe extend the life out of them? Is that like a, a viable? Well, that's strategy? actually what that's actually what a lot of our back office uh, business owners are doing. I can speak specifically to HR. That's one of our customers, and they're basically going to uh, you know we have very very old uh, applications. I won't say what platform they're on, but um, the idea is that they're going to use a SaaS front end uh, for all those applications. Uh, and then they're going to basically maintain, uh, you know, the data and some of the back-end processing on-prem until they methodically have time to clean up those applications so that they can improve the experience for the user uh, without jumping right into that massive change management workload on the back-end because, you know, they need time to get their, their staff up, up to, you know. I, I think that's one of the best, thing, best pieces of advice you can give because it really extends the life of those systems without doing the migration you know, it's, yep. so that's fantastic. Katrina, I, were you, did you want to add anything to this? No, I think it's your, your points are all straight on. You know, some systems are, don't, shouldn't be moved. Some systems should be moved. Um, the advice I'd give to everybody is plan early, uh, replan, you know, get your contract straight. Um, get, you know, don't wait till the last minute, you know, you know when your system's hitting into life or you need to do your tech refresh. Uh, you know, and plan forward from there so you're not, um, you know, stuck and you know, I've got six months and I got to do something quick kind of thing because you won't, it, it, you know, that leads to you know, being on the front of the paper and, you know, making the, the post with a, you know, another failed cloud kind of story. Um, and a lot of them aren't, you know, it's not, the technology is there. We can make the, usually make the technology work with the proper planning and time and you know, capabilities. So that's usually, it's not uh, a technology fail anymore. It's you know, <laughs> planning budget or, you know, schedule type thing um, that makes these projects fail or makes these things go over, over budget. Um, and then hopefully Dan at GSA can somehow fix this consumption-based uh, billing piece for us or at least get Congress to uh, allow us to do that a little bit better. And, you know, contracts will match technology and how this works. And, make things better for everybody. I think you got days, a comment that on that. Co oh, sorry, what'd you say, Tom? No, you got a comment on that. Uh, oh, well, um, we've been talking about this a long time. That's, uh, we do have the senior procurement executive of GSA. He's a member of an organization he's, uh, that I'm part of. And we spent a lot of time talking. I think some, some very significant progress has been made on consumption-based cloud um, purchasing. I don't, I don't have any bullet points cleared to go into any depth on that one, but uh, I want to optimistically say that I, I, I hope to see that rectified more sooner than later. We got, we got one question. I probably never, nobody ever has brought this up, it's, but it's, it's, it's interesting. So um, a new application comes around, somebody in your organization's interested in it, they're a startup, and then the next thing you know, they, they're not really going to go through the FedRAMP process at this time. Uh, first of all, they probably should call Rackspace up. They could probably help them out with that, right? Uh, but what, what, what happens to the technology that you see and, and it, it, you know, it, it looks like it could really, really help, uh, but it's not going to be ATO'd. How do you deal with something like that? What if it's a really cool piece of technology that can help the mission? What are, what are options out there? I mean, I'll yeah, just give a shameless plug. I mean, thanks for calling it out. But I mean, we, we are really trying to make this uh, less painful, less timely, less costly uh, journey to get through FedRAMP. So I, I definitely encourage you to send any of those vendors our way. Uh, we're not the only one in this space. There's other uh, folks that are doing what we're doing. Uh, so, you know, look at the options. Uh, everyone has a lot of kind of misconceptions around how this stuff works. So make sure they understand, you know, what it, what it looks like. Um, and this is on the industry and government side. A lot of the, the government folks don't really know what the process looks like. Um, so, you know, reach out to the FedRAMP PMO. They're happy to help uh, in, in these conversations. 
uh, reach out to some of the, the industry partners that are out there. Uh, and then there's some unique approaches. We've seen it. Um, uh, so look at you know, how, how you can facilitate a, you know, a private cloud solution uh, that's you know, you know, a virtual extension of your on-prem environment. That's typically the workaround that we see. Um, and there, there's lots of different ways you can play with that. Um, you could also, if it's like an analytical system, uh, you know, de-identifying the data uh, uh, was mentioned earlier. Uh, if the if the data is not actually government data, then you know maybe it's out of scope of uh, of FedRAM. So there there are some ways around it. Are, are agencies less likely to give exceptions? I remember at the beginning of FedRAM, partly anything was FedRAM, so there was exceptions going around like crazy. Is I mean, it's still happening. Uh, uh, so now in the uh, NDAA, we do have the language for uh, making FedRAMP more into a, a law. Um, so that, that might change that process a little bit. Um, it, it's kind of TBD at this point, but I, I, it's still happening. There are exceptions. Um, and if, if it's a mission need, mission always trumps uh, IT. <laughs> in the Actually, uh, Congressman Connolly introduced that legislation mm -hmm. in an event we did with Kerasoft last year. Um, and, and I just want to point out that agencies, an agency CIO can sponsor a FedRAMP certification. So not all, not all FedRAMP has to go through the job board. There's only so much bandwidth in the universe yeah. for those business processes. And those can always be augmented by agencies that are willing to go through those um, uh, steps to share those ATOs through, the Fed, through um, an agency sponsored. Yeah, that actually flipped a couple of years ago. So now the majority of ATOs are agency ATOs as opposed to JAB ATOs. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed so, our civilian, ahead, uh, my civilian customers generally are doing their sponsoring things um, more so than the DOD side. Um, just, you know, there's an inherent flexibility there that they can take advantage of those a little bit easier than the military space. So you have all these, you know, these new innovators like DIU and, and uh, they're bringing all this great technology over. But then the other side of it is they have to go through the lengthy process. Um, that's the irony, right? Is it? Yeah, there's, yeah. there's really a way around that. That's the, the question was, yeah. they're not interested in the process. Well, I, if it's law, it's law. Good, uh, yeah, you're going to go break yeah. the law. I don't, I don't know about that. No, yeah, at least the, the NDA draft language I saw was fairly prescriptive uh, in terms of uh, a company could not pursue an agency ATO unless it had already applied for a jab. And if that ends up going through, it's definitely going to restrict the flow through agency ATOs to the bottleneck and the jab process. I mean, I, I think the real problem is going to be really for those small businesses. Uh, you know, frankly, for most of the things we see, there are other tool solutions out there that can get most of what we need. I mean, there are very few highly unique things. And those that are, are usually, um, you know, fairly small. Uh, it's difficult to get uh, agency leadership on a practical level mobilized because it can take a year, year and a half to sponsor a company through that process. And it can cost us on the government side one to two million dollars in labor just to start. Uh, and then at the end of the day, there's no promise that's going to get done. Uh, and so in the meantime, you know, that's light years in the SaaS world. We could have moved on to a completely yeah. different solution somewhere by then. So the idea that we're going to entrench on that and spend that kind of time because the compliance process is so time consuming with the three PAOs. I mean, that's just not realistic unless it's super critical and super unique to the mission. And it doesn't look like another solutions on the horizon. So generally, we try to either see if those companies will provide a hosted solution that we can drop in an IS back end and, and manage it that way. Um, or uh, we try to find other technical approaches to do that, or we ask for an exception, but those are going to get much fewer and farther between. Uh, Cause like I said, at least the, the draft oh, language I saw is very prescriptive. Thou shalt, uh, you know, use FedRAMP. So um, I think it'll be less uh, desire to go out in front of that. I think that's a good point. Um, if they're smaller and more nimble, you can always negotiate um, to see if they'll they'll put their solution on on prem, and it makes the process a, you know, maybe a little bit easier. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any way around it. But if anybody wants to complain about FedRAMP, just think of every agency did their own thing. That'd be ten times worse, hundred times yeah. worse, right? Uh, at least if we're going to that standard, and then in the DoD building on on that. Um, you know, I, I, 
where would we be without FedRAMP? You know, we'd have every agency doing their own thing and it would just make it very difficult for the commercial side to justify even working with the federal government. Um, any closing thoughts of, boy, the, the, this hour, I, I said it yesterday in our prep call, it goes by really, really quick. Um, any closing thoughts? Where are we going to go and what's 2021 going to look like post-pandemic? What's going to be the new normal? Maybe start off with you, Dan. This is the wrong time of year to make predictions. Let me just say that. Uh, <laughs> I would say that um, elasticity and flexibility and change management are going to, no matter what happens, if we focus on our ability to not lock ourselves into too many um, poor decisions further down the road, if we give ourselves some elastic room to move around, if we understand how to uh, work internally with our customers and our agency partners to Im improve uh, change management. We're going to be okay. Um, and I, I feel confident with those base principles, but I, but I certainly don't have a crystal ball. Yeah. Brian? Yeah, I think uh, mobility is going to be key. I mean, there's still going to be large parts of the workforce working remotely. And frankly, uh, it's changed the way we think about work. I mean, our our whole organization is all about the last three feet when it comes to diplomacy. And now people are starting to rethink, you know, which functions really need to be overseas? Where, where do we really need the right people face-to-face uh, -face, or where can we let people work remotely? And I think that's happening, you know, in many places. So I think we're gonna see more mobility, a lot more flexibility, uh, and certainly a continued drive towards, you know, leveraging data as an asset, you know, to, to make it easier to, to do our jobs faster. And I think it's just, the, the speed is going to be an even bigger emphasis uh, because now that people are used to not having to wait, you know, an hour for their system to log on in their old, you know, office, uh, they can just get to work in the cloud. That's a, that's an expectation. And the, the merger of work and life, you know, home and, and office, um, people are going to expect enterprise grade, commercial grade stuff at work, you know, just from get go. So I think it's put a lot of pressure on agencies to adjust their, their risk tolerance to the types of technologies they'll adopt. And a lot of the legacy stuff just isn't gonna make the turn. Um, and you know, I think that's, you're gonna see that more and more, a bigger drive towards collaboration um, and, and almost a race to that uh, throughout the agencies. Katrina? You're on mute. I totally agree there. They're you know, getting off of these legacy systems, getting you know, to apps that are you know, more phone, you know, phone type things. Um, it, it's going to be a must, um, especially to, you know, it goes back to, you know, the pandemic, but also people, you know, there's this government's age group is retiring. You've got to be able to attract new, new and young people to work in the government, young people to do things. And you can't if you put a green screen in front of them and tell them to get to work. Um, and they just won't, they don't know what to do, you know, so... I think with all this remote school and kids and everybody starting to use computers even more and more, government modernizing their, you know, all the systems and is going to be even more important to manage costs, you know, get off these old, you know, legacy systems that cost a bunch to do, but then to also be usable by the workforce that's used to a standard, like Brian said. So gives us all work to, you know, we'll, our jobs will just be more of that to come. Um, yep. which is what we're here for. Yep. Sean? So, so along those lines, I think we're going to have to continue to advance identity and credential and access management. It's, it's um, at the core of a lot of this enabling it. Uh, zero trust, um, adopting those, those principles. Again, it, it, it's going to enable a lot more of mobile people being wherever, understanding. Um, you know, who's accessing the data, where they're accessing from it, and then um, uh, allowing access via policy permissions and so forth. And then I, I would say uh, TIC 3.0, which again ties back kind of to those other two things. I think that those things are going to be, um, they should be top of mind for um, agencies across the board. Thank you, Sean. I don't know if you know this, but we have a Take 3.0 meeting with Jerry. I think Jerry's going to be on it. Jerry Karen, uh, he's running our Take 3.0 working group, and they've been working in that area. So thank you for that plug. That reminds me that we need to. Last but not least, Brad. 
I'll go with a uh, bold prediction. I will say 2021 becomes the year of GOTS. Uh, after years of focusing on COTS solutions, we see all these innovation groups starting up and all the agencies uh, with uh, a lot of focus on development. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of government software. Um, don't know that's a necessarily a bad thing, uh, but uh, there may be some, uh, some legal challenges to that. Um, we'll see how that shapes up. Yeah, there seems to be like a, almost like a holy war between software as a service and then you've got the development community, all these Kessel Run, a lot of things going on in the, in the Air Force with Nick Shalon. And it's like, what, what makes sense? How do I leg, you know, modernize a legacy system or have a new system, IT modernization? So um, sounds like a, another great topic for another webinar. Thank you all for doing this. This has been uh, really enjoyable to me. And thank you for the audience for taking some time out this afternoon. Um, uh, are we going to stick the slide up, Alyssa, for next week? But anyway, thank you, Dan, Katerina, Brad, Sean, and Brian. Good stuff. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody have a good week. Thanks. Goodbye.